Thinking about our past can be a good thing. The operative word here is can be a good thing. There's a lot made of a person's past in the counseling world. And the reason for that is because our history is important. The things that have happened to us. But it's not important maybe in the way that you initially think. Our history is important because God was in our past. The Lord did not show up in our lives at the point of salvation. The Lord regenerated me in 1984, but he was in my life long before then. Omniscient and omnipresent, God has always been aware of and involved in our lives. He knows more about our past, our present, and our future than we do. We are going to submit our our lives and our thoughts and our past, present, and future to the omnipotent Sovereign One. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. And because the past is so important, I want to talk about it over the next few minutes. My name is Rick Thomas. You're listening to the Life Over Coffee podcast. If you benefit from this podcast, then please do me a favor. Would you go and write a review on the platform that you are listening to? Stop the podcast right now. Write a nice review. Give us a five-star rating. And that is just one way, a simple way, that you can partner with us on this gospel adventure. It will help us organically to reach more people by writing a a good review. And that is the goal, to reach people with the practical message of Jesus Christ. The title of this podcast is Eight Practical and Transforming Ways to Think About your past. And if you want to read this podcast, I have a complete word-for-word transcript. Just go on our ministry's website and you can read uh, this podcast under the same title. You could probably just type in past, the word past, into the search box and this article should jump up on the first page. I have done several articles and podcasts on the past and so enjoy the journey as you think about your past. Also, I have two videos in embedded in this article and that may be of importance to you. Uh, one of them is titled Dangerous Backward Looks into Your Past. And so we do want to make uh, be careful as we make those uh, reflective looks, those thoughts about what has happened to us. And then I also have a video titled How to Trust the Author of Your Story, A Personal Testimony. I had a church in Raleigh, North Carolina, ask me if I would do a personal testimony my life from beginning to the present. And so I sat down at behind the camera and or in front of the camera, rather, and did a video. And so there's a 26-minute video here of my testimony that may be of benefit to you. All right, so let me get into this. And I think the most important thing that I can say, and if there's only one takeaway from this podcast, it is this. Your life is one story, lost and saved, working out for your good and God's glory. It kind of reminds you of Romans 8.28, the famous verse where Paul says, we know that uh, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Well, all things is just that. And when you think about your past, present, and future, we don't draw a line and say at the point of salvation is when things started working for good. No, God has always been there. Your story, your life is one story from the beginning to the end. Your life script 
comes from the hand of God. He is the author. And you are the participant of his story, and that may be a better way of thinking about it. That's how I think about it. It is his story that he is writing. It is his movie. It's his book. He is the one that carries the book about my life. And so whether you spent the more significant part of your life rebelling against God or trying to follow him, the Lord was there. The good, the bad of your life, whether those things happen in your pre- or post-salvation experience, are part of the Lord's sovereign care and design. Becoming born again does not erase what has happened to you, but it does release you from the bondage of what happened to you. And you kind of get a hint of that in 2 Corinthians 5.17, where Paul said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. To be adopted by your heavenly Father is a radical change from what you used to be. God adorned you in the garments of redemption. You are eating at the king's table, fully secure in your new lifestyle as God's child, if you are born a second time. Now, for some Christians, the good news of Christ is more theoretical than functional. What I mean by that is they understand Bible knowledge, but when it comes to practically living it out on Tuesday afternoon, it is more difficult. And so they tick the box. Yes, I have been truly, authentically, genuinely regenerated, but that past former manner of life has more practical, functional reality or control over my life than what it means to be born again. Because of the horrendous events of their past, they struggle with what happened to them. And I fully understand this. As a two-decade physically and verbally abused son of an angry drunk, I am sympathetic to people who continue to struggle with what happened to them. And again, I would appeal to you, if you wish, you can watch this 20 25-minute video testimony in my life just to get an understanding of, of what I'm talking about when I say that I am sympathetic for those who struggle post-salvation because I struggled many years unraveling and unwinding that former manner of life and trying to make sense of it and, and trying to live in the true identity, which is Christ. Your past can be like a dark shadow that never leaves you. It's like living in a world where the sun never shines. And it's this reality is how the past can control the present for a few folks, which has a determining impact on their future. You see the sequence there. You see the link linkage between past, present, and future. If we are fixated and focused and can never index forward from our past, then it shapes our present tense in a negative way, which impacts our future. Being born again, or being born a second time, is supposed to have a practical transformative reality. And that's why I titled this podcast, Eight Practical and Transforming Ways to Think About Your Past, because that is the way it's supposed to be for us. God adopted and declared you not guilty of all past of all the present, of all future sins, whether those sins are things you have done or things that were done 
uh, to you because being born again and declared not guilty should release you from the evil of others. But I realize that this is a work in progress. And again, that's why I'm sympathetic to people who continue to struggle after being born a second time. This work of transformation that I'm talking about is a passive operation that the Lord does to us. It's something that he actively works in our lives. That's salvation. That's his work. For by grace, it's not of works. But then there is sanctification. That is a different operation. That is a different process. It is passive, but it is also active because after salvation, God requires us to cooperate with him in the works he has previously prepared for us. The Lord wants us to participate while enjoying our new relationship with him. You read some of this in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Paul says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. You see the passive and active operation in our sanctification. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There is work to do after regeneration, and especially for those who are fixated on their past or who are controlled by their past. And though this cooperative activity with God is not a condition of salvation, and I do want you to hear that clearly, this doesn't make you more saved or it doesn't keep you saved, but it is an essential responsibility that affects the quality of your life on earth. Now, it's at this juncture where your past can be a problem, even crippling, your experience with your present tense experience with God and others. And that is why some folks need a new theology of the past. And part of that new theology that some people need to rebuild includes these eight things. And so without further ado, let me get into eight practical and transforming ways for you to think about your past in no particular way. order here of significance, but all of these things are important. So number one, the past is significant. I do want to say that. The past is significant. Paul said in Ephesians 4.22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. There is a past. There's a former manner of life, and it is still hanging on to us, lingering inside of us like that. That ubiquitous shadow that just never goes away. And so the past is significant. The psychological culture, of course, takes that way too far, and they make way too much of the past. They see the past as a, as a mystery to be unlocked. Now, there is no biblical warrant for this kind of thinking, that we are blindfolded to our past, and it is a mystery that we want to poke at until we find the secret key to unlock it. The Lord would not lock up your past and then ask you to go on a mysterious field trip to find the secret to your future sanctification that is hidden, embedded in your past. This tactic makes no theological sense. But contrarywise, the Christian culture 
has too easily dismissed the past as though it does not matter, which is also a mistake. We seem to live pendulum-type lives, especially if we're heavy immersed in the culture, which is way too far in one direction, and we come out of it and become born again, and then we swing way to the other side. There's no moderation for, for some of us. And so while the psychological culture makes way too much of the past, some in the Christian culture can downplay it as though it does not matter. You do want to be, you do not want to be that continual backward looking Christian who never gains forward momentum in their progressive sanctification because you have a culturally centered view of the past. But we can live in this tension easily because Christ binds the quality of our sanctification in who we are in him, not in who we were in Adam. And so you have a former manner of life that affects your current manner of life. And Paul told the Ephesian Christians that they had a former way of living that impacted their current way of living. He did not ignore what they were before the Lord saved them, and he did not want them to dismiss it lightly either. And so, number one, the past is significant. Number two, we are not victims. Now, there is a measure of significance to your past, as I've been saying, but it should not have a controlling, dominating importance. No person is a helpless victim whose present manner of life is determined by their past. If your past has more power over you than the grace of God, then your thinking about your past is not in line with the gospel and your thinking needs to change. There is a way you're supposed to think about your past, which was Paul's point, put off that former manner of life. There's a way of doing it. It's corrupted. It has deceitful desires. You want to, as we like to say, unpack those things and get into it. He was concerned about how a Gentile worldview shaped their thinking, and he wanted them to think about that former manner of life. He was aware of this, and so he told them to be careful about how the past may corrupt their thinking. He carefully read. See, before he said, verse 22, that we have a former manner of life, he said this in verses 17 through 20. Paul said, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. And then he launches in to put off this former manner of life. And so we are active participants in what God is doing in our lives. We are not victims to our past, even though we live this way, as Paul is laying out in Ephesians 4, 17 and following. And so the past is significant, number one. Number two, we are not victims. Number three, the past affects the present. And I think that is intuitive. You already know this. Paul was concerned that their thinking might not change. The futility of their 
minds, calloused uh, in their thinking, giving themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, he was concerned that their thinking might not change. So he appealed to the Ephesian converts to no longer walk like Gentiles. They did this due to ignorance which meant the Ephesians had not learned Christ the way that they should have. Now, if you're overly fixated in your past as a born-again believer, then you, you want to make sure or you want to get the help that you need so that you can transition from that futile thinking to a Christocentric thinking. Their understanding was darkened and alienated from the life found in God. The real issue for a person who has been affected by their past is how they are thinking about their past. To be in Christ is a worldview shift. You have come out of darkness and are now a child of the light. You still have a past with you, but you're not a child of darkness. Therefore, those presuppositions in that worldview should not be the filter through which you see your past. You're now a child of the light. The number one problem I experience with people who are still affected by their past is they continue to think like unbelievers. They do not have a stabilized and maturing faith in Christ. And so point number three, the past affects the present. Number four, we reconstruct the past. Now this snag is where it gets interesting for past-dominated Christians. What happened to them by those in their past, has more power over them than what is going on with them by God. They live more like fleshly Christians than spiritual Christians. They have arguments that their past has shaped their minds. These arguments rise against the knowledge of God. These thought arguments control them. Paul talked about how we can be captivated by our thoughts in 2 Corinthians 10. And this really applies to a person who is fixated on the past. You will not only be fixated fixated on it, make it too significant, but you'll also begin to reconstruct it. And that's when you can really take your thoughts or your thoughts can be captivated by a futile way of thinking, Gentile way of thinking. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 10, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Don't think like fleshly people. Even though you live in a fleshly human body, we don't wage war according to the way that humans do. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but we have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And that's what Paul was getting at here. If you live more like a fleshly Christian, you're going to wage war like a fleshly Christian rather than a spiritual one, and these arguments will rise up of how you have reconstructed your past and the way that you talk about your past, and that will begin to dominate your thinking And the irony is that no person perfectly interprets or reproduces what has happened to them. Because of finiteness and fallenness, every person practices a little bit of reconstruction. It happens all the time in counseling. I mean, I will meet with a couple, and one of them will rehearse the weekends, the past weekend's events. And typically during this time of discussing the weekend, the other spouse jumps in and says, well, no, 
That's not exactly how it happened. Now, here are two people that are looking at the exact same thing that just happened just a, a few days ago, and both of them have, have started reconstruction. They cannot reconstruct their weekend accurately and come to agreement. Their presuppositions and their fine-tuned filters will not allow them to see current events exactly like the person experiencing the same event with them. They have a skewed interpretive grid tilting toward finite and fallen tendencies. This perspective in itself should cause anyone to be suspicious of how they think about what happened to them when you go farther back than the weekend. Number four, we reconstruct our past. And if you reconstruct the past, which, by the way, we all do to some degree, and then that reconstructed past begins to dominate our thinking, now we are captured by a reconstructed past. And Paul says that there is a way in 2 Corinthians 10 that we Take those thoughts captive to obey Christ. By the way, I have an article embedded here about that very thing, and I would love for you to read it. It's titled, How to Take Your Thoughts Captive. And maybe that will be the first thing that you want to read uh, as you, after you finish this podcast and finish this article. I have a lot of articles embedded here, and that's just one of them, How to Take Your Thoughts Captive. So that's number four, we reconstruct. The past, number five, God was in the past, as I've said earlier. The safer way to go is to see our past as coming from the Lord for his glory. This is a great way to bring your thoughts into the obedience of Christ. This thought has been controlling me when I think about my past. I am not a victim of my past. But I am a particular person made in the image of God who has been given a pass for God's glory and the benefit of humanity. This ministry, in part, is the result of my horrific, abusive past. God knew me before I was born. He brought me into this world through two particular sinners, mom and dad. He was carving a path through my past that led to a cross. And it did not matter. I mean, ultimately, it did not matter what kind of sinners my parents would be. How could I get from my first birth to my second birth and not be affected by those in my life? It it is like we're all walking through the world in semi-clean clothes when we are born. And by the time we get to Jesus, our clothes are filthy rags. The good news is that God was there, making a path where no road existed, bringing us to his dear son so we could be born a second time. God was and is with us, Emmanuel. Number five, God was in the past. Number six, the culture distorts the past. Not only do we reconstruct it, but we can also bend it and distort it, and the culture does that too. Unbelievers will try to change your past because that is the only thing they can do. That's the only way they, in their own way, can help you, and I put help you in quotation marks because ultimately the culture can't help you the way the Bible can. They have an altered presuppositional lens shaped by a godless worldview, futile thinking, Gentile thinking. How could they possibly view your past any other way but through their twisted lens? Their starting point, like ours, and hopefully you have a different starting point than them, but starting points determine how it's going to end. And so if the culture is the help, then 
we're not going to receive the best help. Too many Christians have culturally convoluted thinking about their past. They have received their training and primary shaping influences by worldviews that have little to do with Scripture. If the culture begins, this is their starting point, by denying God, there is no way they can come to God-centered solutions. And while I do not fault the world for doing what they do, because that is all they can do, I mean, it would be really foolish for me to think that they would have Christocentric a Christocentric worldview, and so I don't fault them for doing what they do. I understand why they do it, but it does flummox me that some Christians continue to drink from wells that cannot hold water. Nearly all of this confusion about the past is because believers have submitted their thoughts to theologies that are devoid of God and His Word. Number six, the culture distorts the past. You need to know that. Number seven, we distort the past. None of us are trustworthy enough to come to correct conclusions about our past. We all should hold a healthy suspicion of ourselves, especially about how we think about what has happened to us. This perspective is not negative. It's not a downer. It's not negative waves, but it is humble self-awareness and wisdom. We cannot be fully aware of our assumptions, our values, our influences, our habits, our blind spots that shape our former manner of life. Paul told the Ephesians their former manner of life was corrupted through deceitful desires. Think about the convolution of deceitful desires as it it interplays with a former manner of life. Well, ours is that way too. And so we must hold our past loosely as far as how we think about it, and we should not believe what happened to us is our identities. We are to no longer walk as Gentiles. We are a new creation made and shaped by God. And so rather than spending our days thinking about what has happened to us, it would be more productive to reflect on how God wants to work in our lives today. Backward fixations will keep us fixated on our past. Forward fixations will change our lives. If we're going to change our past, we must change the only thing we can manage today, which is our present. So number seven, we distort our past, past too. And then finally, number eight, rewrite your future. The title of this podcast is Eight Practical and Transforming Ways to Think About Your Past. I wrap up with point number eight, rewrite your future. As you incrementally alter your present today, you will stand at some future day with a Christ-centered past. As you look in the rearview mirror, you will see the past that you began creating today, and it will overwhelm the past that is farther back there. Today, you look at your past and see the darkness. In the future, you will look backward and see a beautiful life with God. When I looked at my past, say 1985 and back, it was very dark. But as I created a new future, now today, when I look at my past, I see a beautiful life with God. This transformation is my story. Over 25 years of progressive sanctification has given me a reconstructed identity situated in Christ, not Adam. 25 years is probably not right. It's more like 30-something years now. I may need to change that in the article. What happened to me in my past, 25 years is actually the first 25 years of my life. And so the first quarter century of my of my life was my unregenerate past. And it was real, it was powerful, but it is not who I am I am a Christian, a Christ follower. My past serves redemptive purposes today. 
I have a list of 10 things that I want to talk about with my past, and I, I want you to read this list. I actually made a poster about this, and the poster is here in the article, and you can print this poster if you want and use it however you wish. But I, this is the call to action. Will you take the time to reflect and discuss with a friend what you should do to begin changing your past? And the way you change your past is by changing your present. And as you change your present, you'll create a new past. As you stand in the future, it will be a God-honoring future. Let me wrap up by giving you a worldview of how I think about my past. These are just 10 quick bullet points that are in uh, this poster. Number one, my past was a path to Jesus. Number two, my past is a blessing from the Lord. Number three, my past helps me to relate to strugglers. I praise God for that. Number four, my past motivates me to keep changing. Number five, my past encourages me to tell others how they can change. I'm motivated to tell others because I've seen what God has done in me. Number six, my past allows me to warn those who won't change. That's the negative side if you don't change, and I've had a few of those conversations over the years. Number seven, my past makes me appreciate the grace of God, and amen. Number eight, my past gives me a greater hatred for sin. Number nine, my past, excuse me, my past stirs me to long for heaven. I can't wait until all of the The darkness, sin, guilt, shame is completely gone. I long for heaven. Number 10, my past fills my soul with the transformative hope found in the gospel. The title of this podcast is Eight Practical and Transforming Ways to Think About Your Past. If you would like to talk to us about any of these things, or maybe there's something else on your mind, please jump on our community forums, and we would love to chat with you. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.